What's up, friends, and welcome to a special edition of the Levels of Wealth show. It's a little bit different than what you've come to expect because we're talking about the markets, particularly what transpired over the last week or two, what that means for what could potentially possibly transpire for the next week or two. And my hosts on these special recap editions of Levels of Wealth, we enjoy going in and talking about a wide exposure of financial concepts, both for crypto and real estate and really everything that's up and down at the moment so that you can have very quick expertise on the subject matter at hand. Hope you enjoy the show. If you have any questions or you need anything at all, send us an email to hello at levelsofwealth.com. We would love to answer your questions on the next recap. Enjoy. Yeah, you mentioned that last time we chatted. You're talking about like you made like 10K or something in a day. And I was like, and talk about condors and these kinds. I was like, man, that is a, that's a crack pipe. Yes, but it's so fun. It's like it's like gambling with a little bit more control. And I've lost all of it that I made, by the way. So I made a lot and then I lost a lot. And I am still confused as to like why I'm losing money, but I'm going to figure it out. It's going to happen. Well, I think like it's funny because people can make money trading options. Like that's definitely a thing. But the reason why I don't like it, like I got into it long time ago and, and then it just kind of, I didn't feel right. It just kind of violates all these principles that like, like the law of the harvest and playing the long game and all that. And so like, uh, anyway, you can make money in that space, but man, the amount of, and it's not 80, 20, it irks a lot of my principles. So I don't, I don't even look at it. I don't even touch it, Yeah, but more power to you, man. If you've earned the right to throw, to gamble a little bit, like get on it. That's what it's all about. I'm going to I'm going to keep figuring it out because I can. So, hey, first item of business today. I want to know what you think about this. Barry Bannister, uh chief equity strategist at Stifle, it looks like. He he said that Bitcoin could drop to $10,000 in 2023. A major reason for the outlook is correlating to the Federal Reserve monetary policy. What do you think about this? Has this dude lost his mind or is this something that's realistic in your opinion or both? Yeah, man, it's, it's a interesting assessment because I don't, I don't know if like if inflation and what the fed is doing pushes people towards hard assets like Bitcoin, or if it takes all the hot air out of them. So like the fed recently you know, at the end of Q4, they were like, oh, we're going to, we're going to shift out of, you know, quantitative easing. And they kind of put out a schedule for it. And then they said, oh, we're going to, we're going to half the time, uh, you know, the roadmap for quantitative easing. And then they basically said, oh, by the way, we're going to get into quantitative tightening. And that's why all the markets went completely flopped in January because the market's like, wait, what? You're going to do what? And so it's just the, it's a, it's kind of a schizophrenic, it's like moving the Titanic and trying to pivot it like like on a dime. That's what they're doing with the monetary policy right now. And I don't think there's a good precedent for that. So I think the markets are having a weird reaction to it. But if we do go to a place of quantitative tightening, um, if, if a lot of the extra capital from like institutional money was floating into Bitcoin and pushing the price up, we're definitely going to see a drop in it. But to me, that sounds awesome because I play the long game. Everything goes on sale. If I can buy Bitcoin at 10K, bro, I'm all the way in because my horizon and, and people's horizon that are long Bitcoin, it, you know, is much longer than what's happening in this, this particular calendar year uh, in the economy. So if it happens, I'm, I might actually be very excited about that. Um, 
That being said, I don't know that we know for sure. I think it's it's reasonable to say that and it'll grab headlines. But I think we don't actually know how much of Bitcoin will actually be a flight for people to uh, for protection, right? And I, I truly don't know that. I wrestle with this a lot in my head. I don't have a strong indication, except that I don't kind of don't care because I'm playing the long game. Yeah, you can afford to go through short-term temporary dips because of your horizon. I think uh, speaking about the Fed, I'm seeing a lot of people projecting like a 3% to 4% inflation rate this year because of some of the tightening. You know, they're, they're definitely going to have to pull back. I'm interested to look at what the civilian population's response is once they kind of figure out that everything that they held in cash and T-bills over the last year, they just lost 7% of their net worth. Um, <laughs> typically, the response is to like, oh, hoard cash when we're approaching volatility. But it seems like just a bad move in light of how much liquidity is being pumped into the market. I don't think we're going anywhere, dude. I, I think we're going to keep the inflation train going for the next couple of years because we can't really slow things down until the supply chain issues get fixed because then you have commodity, you know, commodities are increasing. People don't have money. I think it's all tied in together in a weirdly, like a really bad way right now. What do you see happening over the next six months? Do you think now it's time to hoard? Are you hoarding your cash or are you getting it out into crypto and miscellaneous things still? So there's two questions there. What what am I what do I think is going to happen and, and what am I doing with my cash? I think for cash, I'm still excited about buying assets. Like this is kind of a lazy approach, but I, I sort of dollar cost average a lot of things. I don't try to time the market. So I'm doing that with with crypto. I'm doing that in real estate, which is getting harder and harder to do and to you know to hit the economic sort of KPIs that we look for. But yeah, I think it's I think it's really possible that we we get we don't see inflation get under control. And I think that when you look at indicators, like there's this uh, macroeconomic indicator called uh, the wealth to income ratio. So if you Google that and look at the wealth to income ratio over time, every time it spikes up, it has the coldest drop ever. And you can look it back into the market and you can see these drops in the, um, you know, the wealth to income ratio. When you look at the chart, I was looking at this last week, it is stratospherically high right now. So I think that you're right. Even if uh, even if inflation doesn't go off the crazy train, I do think it's going to be higher than normal. And you know, people are already feeling it. You can see the memes on like social media. There was like a, one I saw the other day. It was like a picture of like somebody washing really small vegetables and fruits in their sink, and it was like you know me looking at like my two hundred dollar grocery bill or something like that. Um, so I think that's going to continue to happen. I think people think it's funny now, but it's not funny when it gets worse and it stays like that for a whole year because, you know, uh, Americans, Western culture, we're notoriously terrible at like money. So people's, it's going to eat into their pocketbooks and it's going to start to show up in a mean way if we don't get it under control. I think we're playing with fire here on, on what the Fed is doing. So I actually usually have a pretty strong opinion about these things. I have no clue, man. So I'm, I'm just going to keep buying assets because I believe in that long term. And as long as they can float, which would be minimum viable success. I'm, I'm stoked about that. Here's some data to back up what you're talking about. And I've got the graph pulled up right now and I don't even want to talk about it. It's just not good. But on the CPI inflation, used car and trucks, uh, which is not a, it's not a huge piece of the CPI index, but it's up 40.5% year over year. Shelter, which is probably the biggest component of CPI, 
rent is up 18% over the last year and home prices are up 19%. I was actually surprised by that because I thought that home prices was drastically overshadowing or outpacing rent increases, but it's not. Um, and so it's, it's silly when people say that the inflation rate was seven and a half percent. It's like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Like on average. Yeah. The true inflation rate, which has to accommodate the cost of all of these things is like 30%. It's like wild how much more expensive things. And we're never, we're not going back. You can't just tighten up the policy for six months and fix it because guess what? The supply chain is going to take three years to get under control. The borders are still closed off. Like people are still, people aren't taking into consideration the fact that plastic costs more and uh, aluminum and all of these things. Like we're not going to be able to just get those things back. You can't put that back in the bottle. And so it even, it doesn't even matter how much new money is created. It doesn't matter. We've messed up the supply chain. And at the same time, we've, we flooded the zone with brand new money. Those two things together we're in for a nice little ride here. So I think the right move is actually to keep buying assets. It's always the right move, but I, I think the right move in this case is like nobody knows what's going to happen with the Federal Reserve digital dollar and how, how do they play that over the next couple of years. By the way, we haven't talked about that, the digital dollar. Are they going to go after Bitcoin or do you not know? Yeah, I, th- I think it's manifest destiny, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't think they have the capacity right now to, to take that that challenge on right now. If they go to a digital dollar, maybe as a result of what's happening right now in a couple of years, I, I, it's possible. Um, but my general take is that the regulatory hammer in all capacities in the decentralized world is coming. They just need to figure out a way to get an angle on it. And, um, you know, the regulatory hammer is almost always shaped by the um, lobbying interests in the financial world. So, you know, if you just look back to how uh, the financial world is regulated, uh, there's very clear patterns and uh, the, the big industry players typically shape that considerably. So I think once the big industry players are in and they've got a hedge and then where, we're, you know, shaping regulations will protect that hedge, enable that hedge or further it, I think that's when we'll see regulatory progress in a meaningful way. The other thing that might cause it to happen sooner than later is like a like high profile frauds or scams and these kinds of things. I think it's manifest destiny. I don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon. It certainly seems to be the case that they don't have their stuff together in any in any way, shape or form around it um, now. But I do think it's going to come. And I think it'll be shaped by uh, industry players, uh, particularly the you know finance world 1.0, um, you know, the big institutional players. Once they figure out how they can regulate to get a hedge, then we'll see regulation. And until then, the government, I don't think, has time or interest until the public is being threatened, and that's not really happening right now. One of my favorite stocks at the moment is Zillow because they screwed their entire business model up last year and cut the price in half. A company like Zillow is like, they learned to stay in their lane, but they are, <laughs> I think they've learned to stay in their lane. Now they're betting on us on a housing super app. The idea is to bring together all of the fragmented pieces of the moving process. I'm concerned by this because it's like they are really good at one thing and they just went and learned that they're really good at one thing and now they're trying to go into another thing. Do you think that they can pull it off? They're, they're set a target of $5 billion in annual revenue by the end of 2025, but developing a new super app doesn't seem like it fits their model. 
what's the line between like innovation and staying inside of your competency, you know? Yeah. Like what's the line for innovation's role in driving the growth of your, of your company? I think Zillow has tremendous data advantages. So anything that they're going to do that, that will advance their position, if it's not relying on superior data positions is, um, is a stretch. And I don't want to, I don't know enough about them to say that they can or can't pull it off. I just know that just the captain obvious thing is their big advantage right now is data. And if they don't take advantage of that in whatever they do, then they're leaving massive opportunity on the table. And, I, and that would lead me to believe they're being distracted. Um, but they have a pretty good moat. I mean, all things considered, like they've carved out a great space. I can't see them dropping, but I can see them getting distracted by stupid stuff. But yeah, if they're not using data, I'm really worried about those guys, like super worried. So the market took it well. They went from 49 to 56. And there's some other things in there on the stock price. But at their peak, I think they were 119. So I still think it's something I'm interested in being in. Listen to this. Our boy Elon uh, gave a Starship update, which, by the way, part of the issue with this podcast is I can't get Starlink for another year out here. They need to speed that up. I think they need to speed it up. Let people pay like five grand to get to the front of the line in the area. Have you seen this update that he gave? No, which one? So he he talked about the holy grail of space technology. It's a massive, fully reusable rocket, Starship. It's expected to be a workhorse for the space industry. NASA wants to use it to bring astronauts to the moon by 2025. And Musk said he would rather use it to colonize Mars. So our boys just still kicking innovating away <laughs> and i i wonder why why te- like tesla dropped down back into the 850s i wonder it's this thing like you never know how what elon says is going to affect Tesla's stock price and i don't think he care he doesn't care at all but i still think tesla is going to be the most valuable company in the world in the next five six years so also probably a good buy any thoughts on that oh yeah man i mean look I think we're going to look back and let me just be clear. I am I'm not historically like an Elon uh, fanboy. I just, it's hard for me to not see a guy like that and go look at the number of mental models that he has grasp of and how he's applied them and diligently and over a long period of time. It's hard for me to not look at a guy like that and go, that dude's winning all day long. Right? So when he's like, I want to use that to colonize Mars right off the bat, I know the cleanliness of his thinking and the capacity of his thinking is on an, an order of magnitude higher than most people in that, even in that space, which we're talking about rocket scientists and the forefront of what's supposed to be scientific intelligence. So Elon has a whole another level of, I think, comprehension on these things. And he's playing on so many different dimensions. Imagine being able to synthesize all that. And, and he's yeah. smart. And he has a great, like, I've heard that he has an amazing memory and, you know, can go all the way down in the details on many, many things. So when I hear something like that, like I'm inclined to just go, yeah, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I would err on the side of the guy who has superior mental capacity and an incredible track record. And I think we're going to get to a place in the future where we look back on the history books and go, why didn't we put as much money as we could on everything that he would allow us to put money into for those of yeah. us that have a long-term horizon? I'm not saying if you're short-term, you know, there's a lot more factors to consider, but the dude is on another level, like another, another level when you break down how he thinks. And I don't know that I've ever seen another modern day iconoclast like him be able to do that i mean it's incredible yeah i agree 
on the EV train as well regarding Tesla, the White House, I don't know if you saw this, announced a $5 billion plan to make highways EV friendly. That does seem like it could erode a bit of Tesla's competitive advantage. They're going to probably go in and try to standardize charging systems. How do you think this will affect Tesla? Because Tesla's charging system is superior by 100,000 to one of any of the other EVs. Do you think that they'll just snap to what Tesla already has invented? Or do you see any problems there for Tesla? Well, I think to the extent that Tesla's competitive advantage in moat is driven by the, the supercharger system and the network that they've put up around the world, obviously, it's going to have an impact on that. But I think there's so much more to getting up the experience curve and building a car. And they've done it beautifully that I don't know that other like incumbent manufacturers are going to be able to chase them as fast. Um, just yeah. because they've got entrenched cultures that don't revolve around speed and innovation. So, you know, it used to be the case when you look at Tesla and you go, wow, they got to, it's going to take them a long time to figure out how to build cars, like how, how the OGs did it. But I think they've, not only have they figured that out, they've leapfrogged in a lot of ways, a lot of things. So I think that their competitive advantage is going to be up the experience curve of manufacturing, but also just in the fact that they have a culture of speed, a culture of innovation, a culture of, of getting things done. And I think a lot of the automotive industry, which is an incredibly mature industry, has lost that. So even new, and even new people coming in, they're going to have the same problems that uh, Tesla and Elon had. But just quite frankly, like they're not going to have Elon. So like they can model, yeah. they can stand on the shoulder of giants, and that'll be helpful. But I, but I don't know that um, it, you know even in the medium term that that's going to be that much of a blip. Yes, the market will react to it. But man, that's great. I, I think Tesla long term has so much advantage that isn't celebrated enough, and and may, or maybe it is. Like I, I, I don't pay attention to the Tesla culture that much. I, I hear about the fanboys and the big culture, but the more I look at it as an entrepreneur and a, and a student of business, I'm like, man, these guys are on it. These guys are super on it. No wonder the stock price is banging. Like these guys are on it. They're so far ahead, man, of everybody else that I, I just think the problem with Tesla at the moment is you have a company that is so far ahead that if you don't have a Tesla, you do not understand. You can't put it into your spreadsheet. You can't look at Tesla candles. You can't look at what Elon <laughs> says. You can't. You have to get into a car and you have to drive it. And then you have to realize once you drive it that every other car that you've ever seen or touched is inferior. Then you understand why they're doing what they're doing. It's like what other car company is using uh, the curvature glass that they build with rocket technology as the rockets re-entering the space, their R&D is baked into their portfolio. It's like, you can't touch it. You can't compete with it. And as long as they maintain that edge, what's Ford going to do? They don't have a rocket company. They are not, it's, it's just, it, there's a differential that people are not factoring in. And that is the, the gravity of the exposure that Elon has as an engineer to so many different areas that dude, that's the R and D right there. That's the main piece of R and D to me is like Elon's in everything. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think he's, he's really mastered how to surround himself with really, really smart people. Cause he, he's obviously not running everything. He has his hands in so many things, but he has this ability to go really deep on stuff, but still put leaders around him. But this thing you're talking about the Delta between like, let's say a traditional car and a Tesla, this is, evidenced by the funniest thing in my life every time i go on like um go on a road trip and have to rent a car or something the number of times that i get out of the car and leave it running because i forget that it doesn't just turn off when i get out and i have to grab the key and all that nonsense like i i'm like oh yeah this is a normal car 
It doesn't, it's not that smart. And the door doesn't open when I walk up to it. And there's all these little things that I'm like, I, ha- I have to calibrate. And it takes me like a, a couple of days to go, oh yeah, this is like a 20 years ago thing that I'm inside of right now. Yeah, 100%. All right. Um, last thing, we, do you have a Peloton? <laughs> we do. It's hilarious. Let's, let's talk about Peloton. Do you like it? I mean, I'm not... I I got it for my wife. I, I I've ridden it like five times, man. It was like, oh, this is a cool pandemic toy. Let me get on this thing, and you know, yeah. So I I like Barry McCarthy, the new CEO. He was their CFO, right? Let me look that up because I'm not totally sure. Um, but the way he handled coming into the position, the way he put, the way his values are put together, he doesn't seem to have any concerns around the comeback story, so to speak. Um, the way he treated the founder and like, you know, partnering with the founder. I feel like with the way that Peloton has been able to just grab America, like, dude, everyone has a Peloton. There's a moat in just the software and the way that people compete with their friends and me and you can ride together. That's a network effect, right? They don't necessarily have like the most superior technology in the world, but I think they could get back to that. And dude, at the end of the day, they pioneered a new delivery system that I don't think that, you know, e-commerce in the fitness space had used. I think that they could come back. I don't, I don't, I'm not counting them out. I'm not looking at like, I don't know that they'll sell. That doesn't seem like what Barry is looking to do. What are your thoughts on Peloton? Obviously it was grossly mismanaged prior to this change, but where do you think it can go from here? Um, Well, I like Barry. Uh, If you look at his track record, you know, that CFO to CEO transition is always a good steady hand for companies that are trying to mature and get the ship stabilized. I think Peloton had an epic run due to the pandemic and that was a fluky thing. So I think maybe we see the the dynamics of Peloton settle back into a more natural growth curve now that the world's sort of getting back to normal. They probably pushed into more of the market than really cared about it long term. It's kind of like when you grow your company too fast, you lose sight of who your core ideal target audience is and that base gets soft. So I feel like if they can get back to like their diehards and culture building, because they had an amazing culture. They they used to run one of the most epic Facebook groups, like to model how to build community at scale for a brand. Like they were one of the best in the world. And I feel like that got off the rails quite a bit during the pandemic and all the hyper growth. So if they can get back to what made them great and get to a place where they're leaning on their community and they're driving that forward and kind of start to treat the Peloton more like an iPhone or a Tesla where it just gets an update. The hardware is advanced. It just gets an update and everything's better. Yeah, they've, they've got a fighting chance. They've got a lot of, they got a great install base. So they've got a lot to work with, but man, they got to get back to their core. They got to get back to what built the company in the first place, which is community. And they got to get back to repairing their brand. I don't use that word lightly brand, but in their case, brand matters. It's a big, big deal. And it's gotten a giant turd dropped on it over the last like 12 months. So they got a lot of work to do. It's like um, brand matters to Apple and to Tesla. And some of these like companies that have jumped out into the front and stayed there, it's been because the brand imagery is a moat. It's a moat in and of itself. It's how people feel when they have a Peloton or an iPhone um, or they drive a Tesla. It's like they feel like they are a part of something that is bigger than just a product. Peloton nailed that. Um, and so if they can get that back, I think that it's going to do wonders for the stock price and also just for America as a whole. And I'm surprised to see that they haven't really doubled down on like, I, well, I'm not surprised to see it afterwards because I know that they would get slammed for this so hard, but anything fitness related, 
that has accountability baked in that also connects you with friends. It's like during COVID, like that should be the number one brand imagery pushed out all of the time over and over and over and over. It's like in, in a place like the pandemic, you can connect with friends, stay healthy and improve your chances of just like living another day. You know, they can't, they're probably not going to want to go up against any big farmer or regulation like that. But to me, that's why they exploded. And uh, I like what you said about we're going to see a more of a natural growth curve because the brand is reset just a little bit. Anything else that you paid attention to this week that you want to share with people or we should end on? Yeah, this isn't, this is uh, market related, but I think it's going to be fun watching the Super Bowl and seeing how many crypto commercials there are. <laughs> and it's going to be fun to see how people react to that and what the, what the public markets do for that. Oh, dude. And crypto and EV. Yeah. Crypto and electric vehicles. Those are going to be the two big ones. EVs are going to take over the, the Super Bowl too. And my boy Joe uh, Burrow from LSU, I'm excited to see him bring one home second year. You know, it's, uh, you know it's funny. Every year I watch the, you'll appreciate this as a marketer. I love watching Super Bowl commercials and then watching who is like doing the sex sales play, like who's selling sex. And if you kind of think through the Eugene Schwartz breakthrough advertising model, that's like a, that's like the, la- the last move of desperation or to revive a brand. So I always watch them and I'm like, whoever's selling sex is like desperate. And all the rest of these people are probably onto something. So I just thought I'd mention that. It's pretty funny. Yeah, they're, they're like every, everybody at like the bottom of Maslow's uh, hierarchy is like, um, you know, they've got to move the needle quickly. And then everybody that's at the top is like they're selling status and you're selling these things that probably are overpriced, but people will pay them. It's an inter- that's an interesting way to view commercials. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a notebook open and we'll compare notes next week. How's that? <laughs> I love it. Cool, man. All right, dude. Thanks for hopping on. Have an epic weekend. Yeah, man. You too.